so glad to have you here. Those that are listening online, we're certainly glad to have you with us as well. Well, I believe God has stirred up a message in me from this scripture that can help us live well, fight well, and finish well. And I think it's a message that is really important for us to hear. I feel like I'm loud, am I? Okay, excuse me, sorry. All right. I think it's, it's really an important message for us to hear. Jesus promised life to anyone who believes in him. He promised eternal life. He promised a life that deeply satisfies your inner thirsts and hungers. He said, if you believe in him, something will happen inside of you that is like a river of living water flowing out from your heart. But he also said that to follow him would be costly and it would be hard. In the Gospels, someone came up to Jesus and said, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said, are you sure? Foxes have holes. And birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Are you sure you want to follow me? It's not glamorous, it's not easy, and it's not comfortable. And he said, frequently you will be hated by everyone because of my name. So Jesus did promise abundant life. But he never promised smooth sailing or easy living or a life without conflict. And so I want us to look at the words that Paul used here to exhort Timothy. Flee. Pursue. Fight. Take hold of. Keep. These words imply opposition and danger and warfare. In Ephesians 6, Paul said, we struggle or we wrestle with forces of wickedness. To the Corinthians, Paul said he had fought with wild beasts at Ephesus. Most commentators take that as a figure of speech to mean the intense spiritual conflict with violent and dangerous enemies that Paul experienced at Ephesus. Some moments in our Christian experience can be so intense that they could be described as a fight with wild beasts. Ever been there? Some of you, I'm sure, have. So here in our passage, Paul told Timothy, fight the good fight of faith. And we're going to start with that command. There's other words and instructions here, which we'll go back and cover, but we're going to start with this one. Fight the good fight of faith. Life in Jesus is a war. Christianity is a street fight. And if you belong to Christ, if you have sought to serve Him, if you have determined to live for Him, if you've determined to serve others, have a ministry to others in His name, if you sought to walk in love and joy and peace, if you sought to live a life filled with the Holy Spirit, you know what I'm talking about. You know what that battle is. 
It always has been a fight. It always will be. We are not fighting for forgiveness of of our sins. We are not fighting for acceptance with God. We have that. Our fight is primarily with spiritual powers of darkness. Peter said, your enemy the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. We fight sin, we fight temptation, we fight unbelief. Uh, We may fight thoughts of shrinking back or giving up or just deep, dark periods of discouragement. Sometimes we think this feels really hard. What I am going through feels really hard. What is wrong? Nothing is wrong. You are in a fight. And we shouldn't be surprised that it's not easy to get up some days and keep going. We shouldn't be surprised that it might be hard to get out and make it to church. We shouldn't be surprised that it might be hard to pray or to rejoice or to praise the Lord or to cling to God's promises. And Peter said, don't be surprised by the fiery ordeals that come into your life. The old hymn that we sometimes sing here says, standing on the promises that cannot fail, when the howling storms of doubt and fear assail, by the living word of God I shall prevail. So, We can prevail. There there is a way to win. We can fight and win, but we still face those howling storms of doubt and fear at times. And we have to fight standing on the promises of God or get blown away, so to speak. It's dangerous to be passive or to assume that life should be effortless. We have to engage in the fight. We have to take spiritual actions to succeed because we are in a fight. Peter said, prepare your minds for action to be sober in spirit. Yes, we are at rest. We have this deep rest Because Christ finished everything, he finished everything to fully save us and to bring us near to God. And we have this amazing peace with God that overflows our hearts, but we have that in the midst of trouble and trials and in the midst of spiritual opposition. So we are called in the scriptures to be strong in the Lord, to put on the full armor of God, and to stand firm in the day of evil. And here in this passage, of course, we are called to fight, to fight a good fight. If we are going to do well as a follower of Jesus, as a believer, if we are to do well in our walk with Christ, we must learn to fight a good fight. We must fight well, in other words. We must fight vigorously and earnestly. Paul said in the book, or I'm, not, I'm sorry, Jude uh, said in the, in the book of Jude, contend earnestly for the faith. I think a good fight means to fight with persistence, 
we fight today, and then we fight tomorrow, and then we fight the next day, and so on. And when we get knocked down, we get back up, and we keep fighting. We have the attitude of Christian in the Pilgrim's Progress, rejoice not against me, O mine enemy, for though I fall, I shall rise again. And we get back up and into the fray, into the fight. And we fight. It is a fight of faith. It is a battle to audaciously believe God when everything looks terrible. It is fighting to trust God when your life doesn't make sense. It is a battle for faith in God's word when all around us people are abandoning the truth. Because it is a fight of faith, we fight much of the battle on our knees or in prayer by calling upon the name of the Lord. We learn to fight a good fight of faith by being pe- becoming people of prayer, prayer and who call upon the Lord and who draw near to the Lord and who walk with closely with the Lord through prayer. The Lord said, Call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will rescue you, and you will honor me. So we utilize the the weapon of prayer, of calling upon the Lord. We use the weapons of praise and thanks and worship. Uh, Jude said, build yourselves up on your most holy faith or in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. And so we do that to fight well. Part of our fight, part of our fight is a fight against false ideas about God and about salvation and even what it means to be a Christian. Paul said, keep the commandment unstained. I believe that means keep God's message uncontaminated by error. Uh, Paul, in, in Romans, I can't tell you what chapter right here, but Paul called the command... of the eternal God. The command of God is nothing that we can trifle with or distort to make it sound better to, to other people and especially to non-believers. And I tell you today, we are in a fight for truth. We are not fighting just for the beliefs of a church or a denomination, not even fighting for, fighting for a certain theological system or creed. We are in a Fight for what the Bible actually teaches. And it is a constant fight because there is a new and subversive error every day, or so it seems. There are distortions of the truth that sound so good, but actually have the seeds of spiritual destruction in them. A well-known pastor teaches... Following Jesus doesn't change you into something else. It reveals who you've been all along. And I noticed this message creeping more and more into the church. I read a biography recently about an East German communist spy who lived here in the United States as a communist spy from from, uh, Germany. He lived, of course, as an atheist and 
as a spy, but he seemed like a really good person, and those around him who got to know him thought he was a, just a very sincere, good guy. So he defected uh, to the USA where he got to know some Christians and even went to a church. But here's the gospel he was given. You are already a Christian, you just don't know it. That makes me mad. Because I wanted that guy's to I wanted that man to hear the real gospel. There's a kind of message out there that you are that you are really awesome, wonderful, special, good, and Jesus just helps you discover who you really are. Nothing is said about a sin problem or a need for a brand new heart. Just come to Jesus and he will help you reach your full potential. That's the gospel that many people are hearing today. But the gospel of Jesus is much better than that. Jesus takes people like us who were really, really sick in sin and he heals us. Peter said he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. So the gospel is that we were sick in sin, but Christ healed us by his wounds or by his stripes, by his suffering on the cross. We were going astray, but Christ has now become our, become our shepherd and guardian of our souls. We were headed for the worst possible kind of destruction. Objects of wrath, Paul says in Ephesians, and Christ brought us into a status of safety and peace and favor with God and into the love of God which can never be taken from us. That's the gospel. So beware of those who do not teach our need for Christ to make us new people, to give us new life, to make us a new creation. Jesus, the gospel is that Jesus Christ takes sinners and makes us saints. He takes spiritually dead people and makes us alive. And as I already said, he takes sick people and makes us well. Hallelujah. <laughs> Next, Paul said to Timothy, or Paul also said to Timothy, keep the command without reproach. He said to, to keep the command of God, the commandment unstained, and then he said, keep the command without reproach. Don't do anything, Timothy, to bring dishonor or reproach on, the gospel, on this gospel message, this, the command of God. We all know how much dishonor has been brought on the name of Christ by all the teachers and evangelists and pastors and entertain, Christian entertainers or worship leaders who have either sought illegitimate financial gain or have fallen into sexual sin or have shipwrecked the faith and publicly denounced their faith in Christ. What, what a reproach these people have brought in the name of Christ and Paul says to Timothy, don't you do that. Keep the commandment without reproach. 
Paul himself believed that it took a vigilant, aggressive self-discipline to live a godly life and to finish well. He said, I do not run aimlessly. I do not fight like I am beating the air. No, I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. That's 1 Corinthians 9, 26 and 27. Paul said, I, I don't just run around in circles. I don't run without aim. I, I, I don't fight like I'm just beating the air. I'm, I'm not shadow boxing. I am not merely throwing punches into the air. He said, no, I am in a real fight. And part of that fight is against myself or my own body or my flesh. Part of the fight is against the desires that I feel within me that would hinder me from godliness and faithful service to Christ. And so what did he say? He said, so I batter my body and bring it into servitude, lest having preached to others, I myself might be disqualified. Do we take living a godly life that seriously? We should. All right, we started our message with fight the good fight. And I, I think that is the summary command of this exhortation that all of these other things kind of fit with or fit under. But actually, the first command in this passage is to flee or run. Turn your back on things that would hinder your walk with God and get away from those things as fast as you can. We are not to dabble with attitudes, desires, ways of living that we know do not please God. Paul said, run. Flee from those things. Specifically in context here, uh, Paul is talking about fleeing the longing to be rich, the love of money, the craving for more money. There were men all around Timothy in the ministry who saw God as a way to build themselves up, build up their own egos, and a, and a way to build themselves up financially, to prosper financially. Or as Paul put it, they believed godliness could be used as a means of Gain. And often, not always, but often, you will do better in your home and in your marriage and in your work and in your business, even financially, as a God fearing Christian, as a Christ follower. But to turn Christ or godly living into a stepping stone to worldly success or personal gain is a dangerous error. This version of Christianity is all around us. It's a Christianity which talks about Jesus and God and uses principles from the Bible, but mainly uses the Christian message as a means of getting ahead in this world. And this error flows at least partially out of what Paul called a longing to get rich. Um, of course, it is not a sin to be rich. And later on, Paul... Uh, Paul will actually address Christians who are, are rich. And we'll, we'll get to that probably next Sunday. But, 
But setting our heart on riches and our passions on that is a trap of the devil. And just to remind you of what Paul said in verses 9 and 10, uh, he warned those who long to be rich. He said those who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered away from the true faith and have pierced themselves with many sorrows. So Paul said to Timothy, don't let that happen to you. Flee, run from that. Paul also said in other places, flee from sexual immorality. He said in another place, flee from the sinful desires of youth. So there's lots of things that we are to flee from. We are to flee from basically all the sins and snares of this world, which I think begs the question that we must ask ourselves, what is it that I should be fleeing from right now that I'm not? What should I be running from as fast as I can that I'm not? Turn and run this morning. Flee. Get out of that attitude, that lifestyle, that action, those things you're doing. Get out and run as fast as you can. But notice how Paul addressed Timothy in verse 11. He called him, and he actually begins with this. He called him a man of God. But as for you, O man of God, flee from these things. If you belong to Jesus, God has reached down and he has saved you out of the world. And he has made you a man of God or a woman of God. You are a person of great spiritual privilege and responsibility because you now belong to God. You're not your own. You are a man of God or a woman of God. You are his. And so you flee from the fleeting pleasures of sin because you are a man of God or a woman of God. Let that name be emblazoned across your heart. I can't remember the reference, but somewhere in the the Old Testament speaking prophetically out into the prophetic future, I think it might be in Zechariah, the author said, the prophet said that even the Bells on the horses will have written on them, holy to the Lord. And the pots and the clay jars are going to have written on them, holy to the Lord. Well, truly, in the new covenant, when we are saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, that's what is written on you, holy to the Lord. You are a man of God, a woman of God. Then Paul commanded Timothy to pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. 
We are to go after these things. We are not merely to wait passively for these things to happen. I hear people frequently say things like, I am just waiting God for God to make me patient because I know I can't change myself. I think that's an error. I really do. I think that's a spiritual error. Certainly, God does the changes. But he already put the fruit of the Holy Spirit in you, one of which is patience, love, joy, all these other things. God is the power behind these things. He's put those things in our life. But you must walk in that. We are told to walk by the Spirit, to walk in the Spirit, to walk in these things, to pursue them. God is at work in us to lead us to put sin to death. We're not waiting for God to put sin to death. He already did that through the cross. We were crucified with Christ. Now, through the Holy Spirit, He is leading you and me to put sin to death. To repudiate sin, to renounce it. Passivity won't work in this thing we call the Christian life. So we are to pursue righteousness, doing what is good and right in the eyes of God. We are to pursue godliness. We are to pursue faith. We're to to pursue love. We're to pursue loving God and, and loving one another. We're to pursue steadfastness or faithfulness. We're to strive to be faithful. We're to strive to persevere, to endure, to press on. And we're to pursue gentleness. We are to pursue these things. Paul also said, then take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Paul reminded Timothy, hey, Timothy, remember, you've been called to eternal life. And you've confessed that in the presence of a lot of other people. And like Timothy, Most of you here have experienced the call to eternal life, and you've confessed to other people that that you're saved, that you're a Christian, that you know God. Many of you have confessed your faith in Christ by baptism in the presence of many witnesses. Now Paul says, take hold of that eternal life to which you have been called, and to which you made a public confession. Hold fast to that eternal life. Do not neglect it. Tenaciously hold on to it. Do not become preoccupied with something else. Do not pull away. Do not shrink back. Life may be rough, but hold on to this new life, this eternal life that you've been given in Christ. Jesus said, hold fast to what you have so that no one may take your crown. Then Paul finished by saying, I give you this charge in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Jesus Christ. So we are to take these exhortations with the seriousness and with the awareness 
that they come to us in the very presence of God and of Jesus Christ. God was looking on as Paul gave this chart to Timothy. And I believe that God is looking on even as we hear these things this morning. We are in the very presence of God and of Jesus Christ. And he is watching over what is instructed, what is said. He is watching over our hearts and our response. This is not done in private. Other people might not know what's going on, but God does. He knows what's going on between you and him. He knows what's happening in your heart even as you hear these things this morning. So be aware of that and and receive it with, with that seriousness and with that weightiness. And we are to keep this charge all these things that we are commanded to do, we are, we are to keep this charge until when? Until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he, the Father, will display at the proper time. So we are to fight this fight all the way to the end. This is, this is not something that we just kind of hype ourselves up for for a week or two. We're, we're to fight the good fight all the way to the end, either till we die or Christ is revealed from heaven. And then Paul ends with an outburst of, of worship to God. God who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen and amen. So many of us, and I'll include myself in this too, so many of us at times at least are looking for, for some new spiritual secret or some new key to spiritual victory that will make the Christian life better, easier, just, you know, you know what I'm talking about, don't you? Because we, we all probably kind of secretly desire that. But the only secret is Christ and the power of his spirit. And the pathway to victory is to flee from sin, pursue godliness, fight the good fight of faith, and hold on to the eternal life to which you have been called and given through the grace of God. And keep, keep the command of God without stain and without reproach. And we do that all with reverence and awe and worship because our God is the only sovereign, the only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords. And to him be all the honor. Let's stand and pray.